You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 7 of Maisley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Maisley by Johanna Spirey. Chapter 7 The Mother's Absence Has Consequences. Next morning, Salo was allowed to go into his sister's room in order to say goodbye to her. She looked at him so cheerfully that he asked with eager delight, Do you feel so much better already, Leonore? "'Oh, yes. I feel as if I were at home,' she replied with shining eyes. "'I feel as if our mother had come down from heaven to take care of me.' "'When you can get up and go downstairs, you will be happier still. "'I know how much you will enjoy meeting the whole family,' said Salo. "'Then you will feel as if you were in a real home that belongs to you.' "'It is such a shame that you have to go,' Leonore sighed. "'But this time the tears did not come quite so urgently.' How things had changed since yesterday, how different it was now to stay behind. At this moment, Mrs. Maxa entered the room. She had left it as she wanted to give brother and sister an opportunity to see each other alone, but the time had come for Salo to depart, and he was obliged to leave his sister. Today it seemed harder for him to go away than leave Leonore behind. I can't even say that I wish you to come soon. I have to hope that you can remain here a long while he said cheerily, while Leonore was smiling bravely. Uncle Philip, ready for the journey, stood beside the carriage. All the children ran towards Salo as soon as he appeared, and when he said good-bye, he was treated like a friend of the family of many years' standing. Each of the children showed his grief in a special manner. Maisley cried loudly over and over again, "'Oh, Salo, please come soon again, please come soon again!' When the carriage was rolling away, and the handkerchiefs that fluttered his last greetings were all Salo could see from the distance, he rapidly brushed away a few tears. He had never felt so thoroughly at home anywhere in the world before. How happy he had been! The thought of going far away, and possibly never coming back, gave him a little pang of grief. When the children returned at noon from school, they were still full of their vivid impression of Salo's sudden appearance and departure. They were all anxious to tell their mother about it because they knew that they could always count on her lively sympathy. One or the other of the children kept forgetting that the mother must not be sought, and would absent-mindedly make an attempt to go upstairs, but they were always met by unexpected resistance. 
Lippo, on his arrival home from school, had posted himself there to see that his mother's orders were strictly kept. He also had missed her desperately, but he had nevertheless remembered her injunctions, and was quite certain that the others might forget and act contrary to her orders. Placing himself on the first step, he would hold any of his brothers or sisters with both hands when they came towards him as they dashed upstairs. When he cried out loudly, "'We mustn't do it! We mustn't do it!' they ran away, quite frightened, for his horrified shrieks might have penetrated into the sick-room. Kathy was the only one who appreciated Lippo's worth. She had received orders to remind the children of the strict command, and she knew quite well, from previous experiences, that she could never have succeeded as effectively as he. Maisley, meanwhile, was sitting at Apollonie's table, gaily eating a snow-white milk pudding which Apollonie knew so well how to prepare. Whenever Maisley came to a meal at her house, she always set this favorite dish before the child. The days when Maisley came for a visit here were happy days for Lonnelly. There was always something funny going on at mealtime, because Maisley had so many amusing things to speak about. On those days she was never obliged to tell her grandmother exactly what lessons she had known in school, and which she had not. Usually Apollonie was dreadfully anxious to hear how punctually she had fulfilled her duties, and she always chose lunchtime for that purpose, because then no other affair interfered with talking. Beaming with joy, Lonnelly now sat beside Maisley, who was telling uninterruptedly about Salo. She told them that he was friendlier and nicer than any boy she had ever seen, and she quoted Bruno, Mia, and Kurt as saying exactly the same thing. Usually they disagreed on such points. Apollonie was quite absorbed in listening, too, and nodding her head once in a while, she seemed to say, "'Yes, yes, I know that he couldn't be called Salo for nothing.' This interesting subject of conversation kept her longer than usual today. Suddenly she started up, quite frightened. "'Oh, is it possible? It is nearly one o'clock. Hurry up, Lonnelly, or you'll be late for school. Maisley, you and I have something to do, too, this afternoon. I shall take you on a walk, and I'll tell you where we are going as soon as we start.' As the dishes had to be washed first, Apollonie thought that Maisley might go out to play in the garden but Maisley preferred to see the plates washed and dried, and afterwards set in neat rows. After these tasks, Apollonie put on a good apron, a beautiful neckcloth, and after packing up several shirts, cloths, and stockings into a large basket, the two set out. "'Where are we going?' Maisley asked, inspecting the basket. "'Who are you taking these things to?' "'They belong to Mr. Trias,' replied Apollonie. "'We are going all the way up to the castle, as far as the great iron door.' When I pull the bell knob, Mr. Trius comes and gets this basket. You'll be able to peep in through the door till he comes back again with the empty basket. Can one look into the garden from there and see the big mignonette that Mamma liked so much? Maisley asked. Yes, yes, the garden is there, Apollonie replied with a profound sigh. But the great rose and mignonette beds are gone. It would take a long time nowadays to find even a couple of the flowers. We could surely find them inside. Maisley said with great certainty. But, Maisley, what are you thinking of? Nobody is allowed to go in. You see, Mr. Trius lets nobody either into the garden or into the castle. Apollonie repeated with great emphasis. I should have gone in long ago if he had let me. Oh, how I should have loved to go, and I know how badly needed I am. What a dreadful disorder all the rooms must be in. If I could only go a single time to do the most necessary things— Apollonie, in her great trouble, had quite forgotten that she was speaking to little Maisley. "'Why should you bring him so many shirts and stockings if he doesn't let you in? 
Don't bring him anything, Mäzli cried out indignantly. No, no, Mäzli. You see, these are his shirts and stockings, and I have only washed and mended them for him, Apollonie explained. Besides, Mr. Trius can't do as he pleases. Do you see the open windows up there? No, you couldn't see them from here. Well, up there lives a sick gentleman, a baron, who won't let anybody come into the garden. He is the master there, and can give orders, and people must not disobey him. Look, one can see the open windows quite plainly now. Can we see the bad baron, too? asked Maisley, peeping up searchingly. I did not say that he was bad, Maisley. I only said that he can give orders, Apollonie corrected, and you can't see him because he is lying sick in bed. Look, look, the fine, thick raspberry bushes used to be there. Apollonie was pointing to wild-looking shrubs that were climbing up the castle incline. Oh, how different it all used to be! Two splendid hedges used to run up there, then across and down again on the other side. Both girls and boys used to feast on them for whole days at a time, and there were always enough left for pots and pots full of jam. And now how terrible it all looks! Everything is growing wild! Nobody who has known the place the way I knew it could have ever thought that it would look like this. Maisley was not very deeply moved by the change. She had long been gazing at the high gate which was to be their destination, and which they were nearing rapidly. "'Does Mr. Trius take his big stick along when he comes down to the gate?' she asked, looking cautiously about her. "'Yes, yes, he never goes about without it, Maisley. But you need not be afraid,' Apollonie calmed her. He won't hurt you, and I should advise him not to. Look, there he comes already. He has been spying about, and nothing ever escapes him. Mr. Trius was already standing at the gate with his stick and opened it. That is fine, he said, receiving the basket, and was in the act of closing the door again immediately. No, no, Mr. Trius, don't do that, said Apollonie, restraining him. She had vigorously pushed back the door and posted herself firmly in the opening. I always do my duty punctually, and I like to do it, because you belong to the castle. But you can at least let me have a word about the master's health. The same, was the reply. The same? What does that mean? Apollonie retorted. Do you watch him while he sleeps? Are you cooking the right things for him? What does the master eat? Venison. What? How can you cook such things for him? Such rich and heavy meat for a sick man. What does the doctor say to that? Nothing. What? Nothing? He certainly must say what his patient ought to eat. Who is his doctor? I hope a good one. I am afraid the master is not troubling much about it. Did you fetch the one from Sills? He is very careful, I know. No. Who do you have? No one. Apollonie threw up her arms in violent agitation. So the baron lies up there, sick and lonely, and nobody even fetches a doctor. Oh, if his mother knew this. That simply won't do, and I am going in. Please let me in. The master won't have to see me at all. All I want to do is to cook something strengthening for him. I shall only put his room in order, and if he happens to get up, I can make his bed. Oh, please let me in, Mr. Trius. You know that I'll do anything in the world for you. Please let me nurse the sick master. Apollonie's voice had grown supplicating. Forbidden, was the curt reply. But I am no stranger here. I have served in this house for more than thirty years, Apollonie went on eagerly. I know what is needed and what the master ought to have. Things are not attended to at all, I fear, and indeed I know it. After all, I am an old acquaintance, and I'll only come an hour a day to do the most urgent task. Nobody is allowed to come, 
Mr. Trius said again, in his unchangeable dry tone. It was all the same to him whether Apollonie begged or scolded. In her anxiety about the sick master, she had forgotten everything else. "'Where is the child?' she suddenly cried out in great anxiety. "'Good gracious, where is she? She must have run into the garden.' Mr. Trius had suddenly grown more lively. Throwing the gate, too, with great violence, he turned the huge key before pulling it rapidly out. He realized that Apollonie was capable of doing anything in her excitement about the lost child." which is baggage he murmured angrily swinging his stick in a threatening way he ran towards the castle mr trius apollonie screamed after him with all her might if you touch the child you'll have to reckon with me do you hear hold the stick down she can't help being frightened if she sees you but he had quickly been lost from view while apollonie and mr trius had been absorbed in their violent altercation and had stared at each other she in wild excitement and he in stiff immovability Maisley had slipped from between the two as swiftly as a little mouse. Then she had merrily wandered up towards the castle, hoping that she would soon see the garden with the lovely flowers. But all she could see were wild bushes and stretches of grass, with only the yellow sparkling flowers which grow in every common meadow. This was not what Maisley had expected, so she went up to the terrace of the castle and looked about from there for the flower garden. At the end of the terrace, where the little pine wood began, she saw something that looked like fiery yellow flowers, and quickly ran there. But instead of flowers, she saw a lion's skin shining in the sun. To see what was under the skin, Maisley came closer. A head was raised up, and two sharp eyes were directed towards her. It was a man who half raised himself on the long chair, which was covered by the skin. As soon as she saw that it was a human being, and not a lion, she came nearer and asked quite confidentially, "'Do you happen to know where the beautiful old mignonette is that Mama saw in the garden here?' "'No,' the man answered curtly. "'Maybe Mr. Trius knows, but one can't ask him. Are you afraid of Mr. Trius, too?' Maisley asked. "'No.' "'But he always goes about with a big stick. Kurt has made a song about him.' Where he tells everything that Mr. Trius does, Maisley chattered on. It begins like this. Old Trius lives in our town. A haughty man is he, and every one that he can catch he beats right heartily. I don't remember the rest, but it is quite long. But he wants to make a song about Salo now, because he is so awfully nice. He said it as soon as Salo went away today. We all like him, and Bruno said that if he made a stupid song he would tear it up. "'Is everybody here called Salo and Bruno?' the gentleman burst out angrily. "'No, nobody except Bruno, you know. He is my big brother,' Maisley explained. "'Salo only came yesterday and went away again today. But he did not want to go, and we wanted to keep him. But he was not allowed to. If his sister is well again, she has to go away too. But we don't know her yet. Her name is Leonore.' "'Who sent you here?' the man ejaculated harshly but Maisley only looked at him in astonishment. "'Nobody has sent me. Nobody knows where I am, not even Apollonie.' Maisley began to explain. "'I only ran away because Apollonie had to tell Mr. Trius so many things, and I wanted to see the mignonette. I am visiting Apollonie because Mama has to nurse Leonore, who is ill and can't come down, because I don't obey Kathy very well, and she has to cook. I spend the days with Apollonie.' "'Oh, here he comes!' Maisley interrupted herself suddenly, for she was frightened. Coming close to her new acquaintance, as if to seek his protection, 
she whispered confidentially oh won't you help me please if he tries to hurt me mr trius was rushing towards them holding out his stick in front like an emblem of his profession the gentleman only made a light gesture with his hand and mr trius disappeared as he had come won't he hurt me if i come down to the door where he stands maisley asked she retreated slightly from her protector whom she had held tightly in her fear of the stick no he replied curtly but his voice did not sound as severe as before a fact which maisley noticed immediately she was very grateful to him for chasing mr trius away and she now felt desirous of doing him a service in return do you always have to sit alone here all the time does no one come to see you she asked full of sympathy no oh then i must come to you another time and i'll keep you company maisley said consolingly does the bad baron never come down to you here she asked anxiously where is he came a second question don't you know that maisley said in great surprise he is up there where the windows are open with this maisley looked up and walking close to the chair whispered cautiously a sick baron lies up there apollonie says that he is not bad but i know that one has to be afraid of him are you afraid of him no then i won't be afraid of him either maisley remarked quite reassured the gentleman who had chased away mr trius so easily and was not afraid of the bad baron gave her all the confidence in the world under his protection she could face every danger i'll go home now but i'll come soon again and with this maisley gave her hand in a most winning way when she wanted to say good-bye she realized that she did not know either the gentleman's name or title so she stopped i am the castle steward said the gentleman helping maisley when the leave-taking was done maisley ran back towards the door sure enough mr trius was standing inside the portals and apollonie on the outside for the careful man had not opened them again he thought that the excited woman might forcibly enter the garden in order to seek the child god be thankful that you are here again she cried when maisley came out she quickly took her hand mr trius after violently shutting the gate had immediately turned his back upon the visitors i was simply frightened to death maisley how could you run away from me i did not know where you had got to you didn't need to be so frightened maisley said with calm assurance i was with the castle steward i don't need to be afraid of anything with him not even mr trius what the castle steward what are you saying maisley who said it was the steward apollonie's words were full of anxiety as if maisley might be threatened with great danger he told me so himself he was sitting all alone under a big tree he sits there alone all the time but i am going up to see him soon again maisley informed her no no maisley what are you thinking of you can't do it if he has not told you to i am sure mr trius will see that you won't get in there any more said apollonie and she was quite sure that maisley's plan would never succeed but if maisley ever made a discovery she was not easily led away yes but he won't be allowed to stop me she said a little scornfully that evening Lonnelly was allowed to bring maisley home she always loved to go to mrs max's house because kurt and mia were her best friends Lonnelly was always so friendly and obliging to everybody that the school children often asked her to deliver messages this often took place in cases of estrangements when a third person was needed Lonnelly had been asked after school today to give a message to mia and she was glad of the chance to deliver it 
Mia had sent a proposal of peace to Elvira through Lottily, for she hated the constant sulking of her friend, and the unpleasant new manner she exhibited in turning her back upon her. Mia had twice before tried to be reconciled to the embittered Elvira, but unfortunately in vain she did not dare to admit this to Kurt, who would not have approved of her behavior, but would have even made a horrible song about it. But one could always rely on Lonely, who was discreet. Mia, standing at the window, saw Lonely coming towards the house and ran down to meet her. "'I have to tell you something terribly sad about Elvira,' Lonely said, quite downcast. "'What is it? What is it?' Mia asked. "'She doesn't ever want to renew her friendship with you, and she has asked me to tell you that. You may be sure that I should not tell you if I did not have to,' Lonely added, "'because it makes me so sad.' Mia reflected a moment, and wondering what she had really done. All she had been guilty of was accusing Elvira of an act of injustice, so all friendly feelings between them were to be withdrawn, for all time, as her punishment. "'Elvira can sulk for the rest of eternity if she wants to,' Mia said now, without the slightest trace of sadness. Lonely was greatly surprised. "'There are other people in this world besides her. I should have loved to tell Elvira who was staying with us.' Never has anybody been so nice, and pleased us so. I wish I could have told her who is here now, though we don't know her yet, but Elvira keeps on turning her back on me. You see, Lonely, the nicest boy, about Bruno's age, came to see us, and his sister is sick upstairs. We are not allowed to see her just yet, but I can hardly wait till she comes down. If she is as nice as her brother, she is the nicest child any of us have ever seen." At this description, Lonely's vivacious eyes fairly gleamed with sympathy. "'What is her name?' she asked expectantly. "'Leonor,' Mia answered. "'Oh,' Lonely immediately began. "'My grandmother also knew a young lady called Leonor. She always says that that young lady was as lovely as an angel, and that there could not be anybody in the world as wonderful as she.' "'I am rather glad if Leonor is not like an angel, for she might not be my friend then,' Mia said quickly. Elvira, even, who certainly is not at all like an angel, has to break her friendship with me every few weeks. Maybe she does that because she is so little like an angel, Lonely suggested. At this both children laughed. Often Lonely found exactly the right word to say which would throw light on the matter. Kurt always enjoyed these remarks of hers. At that moment shrieks of joy sounded from the house. Mama is coming! Mama is coming! Lippo, the watchman, had posted himself again on the stairs as soon as he had returned from school, and he had found ample work there. Kurt had again forgotten the command and had to be chased away, and even Bruno had made an attempt to quietly steal up to his mother, but all this had only brought horrified cries from the little boy. They had both meant no wrong whatever. All they had wanted was to quickly say a word to the mother through the open door. Nevertheless, Lippo had grown terribly wrought up about it. A firm command had been given, and they had tried to break it, so they all had been obliged to give way before his violent noise. A strange gentleman had come, too, who was halfway up the stairs with two leaps, but Lippo had grabbed the tails of his coat and, holding on to them with both hands, shrieked, "'Nobody is allowed to go up! You must not go up!' Laughingly turning about, the gentleman said, "'Just let me go, little one. I am allowed because I am the doctor. Your uncle told me where to go, so I'll easily find my way.' but I'll make use of you some day, for you are a splendid sentinel. When the doctor on his return found him still on the same spot, he called him a pillar of good order, 
and told him that he would send for him if he should ever need a reliable watchman. Soon after, Lippo uttered sudden shouts of joy, for he saw his mother coming downstairs. What a surprise it was to see her when they had thought that she would be shut up for one or two days longer. Mama is coming! Mama is coming! All had heard his exclamations, and Mia was the first to appear, pulling Lonely after her. Bruno came rushing from one side, and Kurt from the other, and Maisley shot like an arrow right into their midst. The mother found herself solidly surrounded. Mama, just think! Oh, listen, Mama! Oh, Mama, I want to tell you! Do you know Mama? This came from all sides and all at once. Tomorrow, children, tomorrow, said the mother. We must be very happy that we can see each other so soon again. I wanted to send one of you to Apollony, but I am glad to see you here, Lonely. Mrs. Maxa now told Lonely the message she was to take to her grandmother. The doctor had just been there and had found Leonore much better already. As her fever had gone down, he feared no serious illness. Leonore was to spend several more days in bed, and therefore she was to have a nurse who could take care of her at night-time. For this, nobody better than Grandmother Apollonie could be found, and Mrs. Maxa would be so glad for her patience, and her own sake, if she could arrange to come to the house for several days and nights. She told Lonely to tell her grandmother that the little girl was named Leonore, and that Mrs. Maxa was quite sure she would not be hard to take care of. The mother would not allow herself to be detained any longer. To all the questions which stormed in upon her, she only had one answer. "'Tomorrow, children, tomorrow.' Then she disappeared again into the sick room. "'Please tell me what she is like when you have seen her. I am so curious,' said Lonely, taking leave. And Mia promised to give the sympathetic Lonely a full report of everything. Next morning, extremely early, Apollonie appeared at Mrs. Max's house. As the door was not open yet, she knocked quietly, and after a while Kathy appeared with heavy, sleepy eyes. "'Why should anybody rush about at this early hour?' she said a little angrily. It did not suit her at all that Apollonie should have found out what a short time she had been astir. "'I begin my day at this hour,' said Apollonie, "'and there is no need for me to rush about.' I can leave that to those who get up late. I have come to take Mrs. Rector's place in the sick room. She hasn't even called yet, Kathy flung out. So much the better. Then I have at least not come too late. I can find some work everywhere. And with this, Apollonie entered the living room and began to set it in order. Kathy did not hinder her, and to show her gratitude, attempted to start a little conversation. But Apollonie was not in the mood for that. She was solely filled by the question who the sick Leonore was that she was going to nurse. Could it be possible? That moment a bell sounded from upstairs, and Apollonie obeyed the call. Mrs. Maxa, opening the door, let her enter. Wide awake, Leonore was sitting up in bed. Her thick, curly hair was falling far down below her shoulders, and her dark, solemn eyes were gazing with surprise at Apollonie. The latter looked immovably at the little girl while tears were coursing down her cheeks. Oh, oh, she said as soon as she was able to control her emotion. One does not need to ask where our little Leonore comes from. It seems to me as if old times had come back again. Yes, she looked exactly like that when she came to the castle, only she was not quite so pale. Leonore, Mrs. Maxa said, Mrs. Apollonie has known both your father and mother very well so I thought that you would like to have her for a nurse. Certainly, Leonore replied happily, while she stretched out her hand in a friendly manner towards Apollonie. 
Won't you tell me everything you know about them? Apollonie was only too glad to do that, but in her agitation she had first to wipe her eyes. There was no end to the children's enthusiasm when they found that their mother was to be their own again. The unaccustomed separation had seemed much longer and harder to bear than they had imagined, but it was all over now. She was back and would be theirs now for all time to come. Bruno suggested that they should divide up their mother's time between them today. This would make it possible for all to get her hearing separately. In all this time a great deal of matter had accumulated which was crying to be heard. If they were all to talk to her at once, as had happened several times before, no one would have any satisfaction, as she might not even be able to understand them. So it was settled that every child should have their mother alone for an hour, and they were to take their turns according to age. So, of course, the first hour after school from eleven till twelve belongs to me, was Bruno's statement. From one till two I shall have my turn, Mia cried out. She was counting on asking her mother so many questions that they might easily take three hours. She had no communications to make, but she was terribly eager to hear all about Leonore. I'll get the time between four and five o'clock, said Kurt. This term suited him exactly, as he had a secret hope of prolonging it somewhat. The two little ones were to have the remaining time before supper, and Kurt thought that they could not have very much to tell, whereas he was in need of a great deal of advice. The mother had been quite certain that Bruno, in his interview with her, would make a last desperate effort to escape having to live with the Canepal boys. What was her surprise when she found that this had been entirely pushed into the background by his lively sympathy in Salo's destiny? Bruno's thoughts were constantly occupied by the thought that his new charming friend stood entirely alone in the world. As Salo had no one who could help him to find a home, Bruno hoped that his mother would be able to give him some advice. He felt sure that she would gladly do this, for she loved both children tenderly, as she had formerly loved their parents. The boy had been absolutely right when he supposed that Mrs. Maxa would be glad to help them, but she had to tell Bruno, frankly, that there was no advice she was able to give. She had no authority over the children, and could therefore do nothing, as everything depended on Salo's early completion of his studies, so that he could choose an occupation. This would have to be settled by the gentleman of whom Salo had spoken. He was probably a relation of their mother's, who had undertaken the care of the children. Bruno was terribly cast down when he heard this. When his mother did not give him help and counsel right away, she usually gave him some hope by saying, We shall see. As she had not said this today, he felt certain that nothing could be done. But the mother's unhappy face showed to Bruno that her disability did not come from a lack of sympathy, and that it pained her very much that she could do nothing. When Bruno came out of the room, he was very silent, and sadder than he had ever been in his life. Mia, on the contrary, came skipping out from her interview. Her mother had told her that Leonore was charming, refined and modest, besides being extremely grateful for every little favor. But what thrilled Mia beyond everything was that Leonore had repeatedly told her mother how much she looked forward to meeting her, because the two were of an age. Leonore's only fear was that Mia might find her rather tiresome. All the girls in the boarding school had always accused her of that, for she was often terribly unhappy, and she could not help it. Mia was more eager than ever now to meet Leonore, for she was already filled with a warm love for the sick child. She could talk and think of practically nothing but Leonore. "'I certainly have to make a song about this violent new friendship,' Kurt said in the evening, 
when Mia had urged more than once, "'Oh, mother, I hope you won't let Leonore go as soon as she can come down, and the doctor says she is well. Otherwise, we shall barely be able to become acquainted.' Mia flared like a rocket at her brother's suggestion, crying violently, "'Indeed you won't, Kurt.' "'Mia, Mia,' the mother admonished her, "'I propose to do all I can to keep Leonore here as long as possible, but—' "'But, Mia, she might be put to flight with fear "'and never be seen again if you attack your poor brothers in such a way.' "'Kurt quickly concluded the mother's sentence. "'Mia had to laugh over this speech, "'which little resembled her mother's style of talking. "'My dear Kurt,' she said, "'I am quite able to complete a sentence without your assistance. "'I wanted to say that I should not be able to do very much, "'because the ladies will take Leonore when it suits them best. "'I have to admit, however, that there was some truth in Kurt's reply. "'Leonore has such a delicate, refined nature "'that it might frighten her to see you carried away by such passion, Mia.' "'When the doctor came back again in two days, "'he was surprised at the improved condition of his little patient. "'If she was not so very young,' the doctor said to Mrs. Maxa, "'while she accompanied him out of the room, "'I should say that her illness came largely from some hidden sorrow "'and inner suffering. "'She has apparently been able to shake it off "'in the good care and affectionate treatment she is getting here.' but I can scarcely believe this of a child. When Mrs. Maxa asked him how soon Leonore could leave the room and spend the day with her very active children, he answered, She can do it from tomorrow on. Nothing can possibly refresh her more than some lively playmates. With this he took his leave. Going downstairs, he met Apollonie, who was just coming up with a supper tray laden with delicate dishes for the sick child. That is right, said the doctor. It gives one an appetite only to look at it. Yes, the poor child eats like a little bird, said Apollonie. But Mrs. Rector says that there must be things to choose from in order to tempt her. How is she getting along, doctor? Do you think she'll get well again? Isn't she just like a little angel? That is hard for me to say, as I do not know any angels, he said, smiling. But she might be, for all I know. I am sure that she will get well with careful nursing, and you are sure to see to that, Mrs. Apollonie. You seem to think that in being given care of the child, you have drawn the big prize in the lottery. Indeed, I have. I really have, she cried after him. No event had ever been looked forward to with such great suspense in Mrs. Max's house as the appearance of Leonor. As soon as all the children were home from school the next morning, their mother fetched her down. The three older ones were standing expectantly together in a little group, while the two smaller ones had placed themselves with wide open eyes near the door. Leonore, entering, greeted one after the other in such an engaging, confidential way that she made them feel as if they were old friends. She loved their mother so much and had been so closely drawn to her that she was fond of the children before she had even seen them. This pleased them tremendously for they had expected Leonore to be very different from themselves, and had been rather afraid of her. As soon as they saw her, they felt that they might each be special friends with their charming guest. Leonore found herself surrounded by them all in a corner on the sofa. As she did not look at all strong yet, the mother had led her there. Leonore tried to answer all the questions, listened to all the projects, and information which were showered upon her while her eyes danced with merriment. These unusual surroundings made Leonore so happy that her face became quite rosy. 
Mia had been already completed in her mind a plan which, if it succeeded, would make it possible for her to have Leonore to herself sometimes. Since all her brothers and sisters liked the visitor so much, it was not easy to get her off alone. If only her mother would sanction the plan. That day Mia had to set the table, and when lunchtime had come, she quickly ran to her mother to ask her if she might take Apollonie's place in Leonore's room, and to her great delight, she willingly consented. Mia told her that she would only be too glad to wait on Leonore at night, if she could but be with her. Leonore really needed no more special care, and in case of an emergency, Mia could easily run down to fetch her mother. "'Leonore will mean more to you than she will ever realize,' the mother concluded, "'and I feel very gratified if you can do something for her, too.' Mrs. Maxa then informed Apollonie of the new plan, and she felt sure that the latter would be glad to get home again. "'I do everything in my power for that angel,' she exclaimed. "'I should go live in the desert if only I could procure a home for her.' After dinner she went to Leonore to say good-bye, and the child pressed her hand most warmly, thanking her for the good care she had received. "'I shall never forget how kind you have been, Apollonie,' she said heartily. "'I shall come to see you as soon as I am allowed to go. I hope that we shall see each other very often.' "'Oh, yes, I hope so. Please ask Mrs. Rector to let you come to me as often as possible,' said Apollonie before leaving. Leonore now told the children that Apollonie had very vividly described to her the lovely home of her parents and the wonderful life in the castle. She had said frankly that she would never desire such a fine home if only Salo and she could call a little house their own. So the good-hearted Apollonie had suggested that they might live with her. She could easily let them have the whole cottage with the exception of a tiny chamber. She could wait on them, and what more could they desire? Leonore had felt that this would be better than anything she had dreamed of, as she could come over to Mrs. Maxa and her children as often as she pleased. How happy Salo would be if she wrote him about it. "'Yes, you can,' Maisley declared. "'Her house is a lovely place to live in. "'Lonely is there, who does everything one wants her to, "'and Apollonie always cooks what one likes best.' "'Kurt made a little enigmatical remark to Maisley about her greed, "'but before she could have it explained to her, "'the mother turned to Leonore. "'I do not want you to be deluded by this thought, dear child,' she said, "'for that might only bring you disappointment. "'As soon as you are well enough, you can walk to Apollonie's cottage,' and then you will see what a tiny place it is. The great obstacle of Salo's studies would not be put aside in that way, either, for he could not join you there for years. Oh, I was thinking all the time how lovely it would be to live with Apollonie. It would be so wonderful. I could live with her there, and Salo could come to us in the holidays till he is through with his studies. Then we could both settle here in the neighborhood. Leonore had been counting on this new scheme, and she looked up at Mrs. Maxa as if she longed for her consent. As Mrs. Maxa did not have the heart to shatter the child's hopes completely, she decided to let the matter rest for the present. As soon as they could visit Apollonie, Leonore could judge for herself how impossible the plan was. Leonore's eyes were usually very sad, but occasionally she would look quite merry, and it was so that she appeared that evening when the children were surrounding her on all sides. When each had to tell her so much and tried to be nearest her, she experienced the feeling that she had come to a family to which she really belonged. Each of the children had founded a special relation with Leonore. Bruno saw himself as her protector and adviser, and as her brother's close friend, he meant to keep an active watch over her. Mia, whose thoughts had been completely absorbed for days in her new friend, brought her all the warmth of a heart which craved friendship passionately. 
Kurt made it his duty to cheer up the rather melancholy child as much as was in his power. Lippo, still filled a little with his post of sentinel, always came close to her as if he still needed to watch over her. Maisley was of the firm opinion that she had to entertain the guest, so she would relate fragments of funny things she knew, passing from one to another. In this way, Leonore got to hear of the Kneppel family. The time passed so quickly that loud laments were heard when the mother announced that it was time for Leonore to retire. She did not want her strength to be overtaxed on her first day out of bed. We shall have many more days after this when we can be together, she added. Let us be glad of that. There might not be so many, for I feel quite well already, Leonore said with a sigh. Mrs. Maxa smiled. We must thank God for that, but you need to get strong. And I hope that you may find the needed recreation and change here. Then she accompanied the two girls up to their room at the top of the house. As Mia was to be Leonore's sole nurse from now on, Mrs. Maxa wanted to reassure herself that nothing was missing. It was in Mia's nature to endow every new friend with marvelous qualities. Her imagination was always as active as her heart, which she gave unreservedly on such occasions. Unfortunately, Mia suffered many disappointments in that way, because on nearer acquaintance her friends very seldom came up to her expectations. She always tried hard to hold on to the original image, even if it did not in the least coincide with what her friends proved to be in reality, and this brought on numberless fights with Kurt, who, with his usual shrewdness, could not help revealing to her the real state of affairs. This always disillusioned her family, for it was hard to deny his proofs. Whenever another girl woke a passionate love in her, she was bound to expect something unusual from her. A week had passed since Leonore had spent her first day as convalescent among the family. As Mia had the privilege of being in the closest, most intimate contact with her new friend in the late evening hours, she was in a state of perfect bliss. Every moment of the day that she was home she tried to be at Leonore's side, and in her walks to and from school there existed for her no other subject of conversation than Leonore. It was quite unusual that Kurt had not produced a rhyme about her great devotion. He had not once said, Things will be different after a while. Brother and sister this time were entirely of one opinion about her. It even seemed as if Kurt himself had caught a touch of the friendship fever, as he used to call Mia's great devotion. Apparently Bruno was of the same opinion, too. In all his free hours he used to sit in a corner of the room with his books, paying no attention to anything else, but since Leonore had come, he always joined the merry group and generally had something to relate or to show for Leonore's entertainment. This he did in a quiet, gentler manner, such that it seemed as if he would hardly have behaved otherwise. Lippo felt so comfortable in Leonore's presence that he always kept as close to her as possible. Even when he told his experiences at great length, she never became impatient but encouraged him to go on when his brothers and sisters made sarcastic remarks about him. From time to time he would confidentially say to her, "'Just stay with us always, Leonore. You are at home here now, even if you have no home anywhere else.' This was uttered in a spirit of utter conviction, as the little boy had heard it from her own lips, and was sure that this would be the best for them all. Leonore blushed a deep scarlet at these words, as if Lippo had pronounced a thought she did not dare to foster in her own heart. Once his mother had noticed this, so she told Lippo one evening not to say this again. As it was impossible to keep Leonore, it was much better not to speak of it, as it only gave her pain. As this was a firm command, Lippo obeyed faithfully. 
He kept on, however, showing Leonore that he loved to be with her. Maisley's love for Leonore showed itself more than anything in a wish to lend her a helping hand in many things which the little girl felt her lovely friend stood in need of. She had seen quite plainly that Leonore often became very sad when everyone else about her was laughing, and she herself had been quite bright a moment before. But Maisley knew how she was going to help. She meant to tell Apollonie how to fit up her cottage for Leonore and Salo, who, she hoped, would spend his holidays there, too. She meant to superintend these preparations herself, and to have it all fixed as daintily as possible. By this time Mia's new friend was adored by the whole family, and they showed it by doing all in their power for her. They had agreed that she differed absolutely from Mia's former friends. They could not analyze wherein lay the charm which pervaded her whole personality. The children had never known anybody who was so polite towards everyone, including Kathy, who only spoke affectionate, tender words, and always seemed so grateful when others were kind to her. This spirit was something new and extremely delightful. They had to admit to themselves that they wished everybody would act in such a way, as this would do away forever with the fights and altercations that had always arisen between them, and for which they were afterwards always sorry. The only thing they would have been glad to change in Leonore were her sudden fits of gloom, which affected them all. Leonore tried very hard to fight these depressing thoughts, but they went so deep that she seldom succeeded. Their mother consoled them by saying that Leonore would get stronger as soon as she could take walks with them in the woods and meadows, and that feelings which now weighed on her would then seem lighter. A few days later the children, including Leonore, came back with rosy cheeks and glowing eyes from their first walk to the surrounding hills. The fresh mountain breeze had exhilarated them so much that the feeling of well-being was laughing from their young faces. Even Leonore's cheeks, that were usually so pale, were faintly tinged with a rosy hue. The mother stepped out of the garden into the road in order to welcome the children. Oh, she cried out joyfully, this first walk has been splendid. Leonore looks like a fresh apple blossom. Taking her hand with great tenderness between her own, she gazed at her very closely in order to rejoice over the rosy color on the child's delicate face. That moment a beggar woman approached, holding by each hand a little girl. The children's clothes were so ragged that their little bodies were scarcely covered. Looking at Mrs. Maxa, the beggar woman said, Yes, yes, children can make one happy enough when one has a home. You are a fortunate lady to have a good roof for your own. It would be better for two such homeless ones as these not to exist. They are sure to remain homeless all their lives, and that is the saddest thing of all. With that, she stretched out her hand, for Mrs. Maxa was looking at her intently. Leonore had quickly taken off her shawl and jacket. "'May I give it to them?' she asked Mrs. Maxa in a low voice. The beggar woman had already noticed the girl's gesture and stretched out her hands in her direction. "'I am glad, young lady, that you have pity for these homeless ones, even if you do not know what that means. God bless you!' Leonore looked imploringly into Mrs. Maxa's face. The latter nodded, as it was too late now to explain to Leonore what action would have been better. She made up her mind to do it afterwards for similar occasions. With many words the poor woman thanked her for the gift. She was very anxious to kiss the young lady's hand for the two garments. But Leonore had immediately run away. Mia followed and found Leonore, who had been so merry on the walk, sitting on her sofa corner crying bitterly with her head between her hands. "'What is the matter, Leonore? Why do you cry so terribly?' Mia asked, quite frightened. She could not answer at once. The mother and the other children had come in, too, 
and now they all surrounded the sobbing girl in great amazement and sympathy. "'That is the way I am,' she said at last, sobbing aloud. "'I am homeless like them. Anyone who is homeless has to remain so always, and it is terrible. That is what the woman said, and I believe her. How should one find a home if one can't look for one?' Leonore had never before broken out into such passionate grief. Mrs. Maxa looked at her very sorrowfully. "'She is a real Wogler, Staten, at the bottom of her heart,' she said to herself. "'That will mean more struggles for her than I thought.' At a sign from her, the children plainly understood that she asked them to go into the garden for a little while. Sitting down beside Leonore, she took her hand between her own and waited till the violent outbreak had ceased. Then she said tenderly, "'Oh, Leonore, don't you remember what you told me once when you were ill and I was sitting on your bed?' You told me that you found a song among your mother's music which always comforted you when you seemed to lose courage and confidence in God. You said that it always made you feel that he was not forgetting you and your brother, and that he is looking after you in whatever way is best for you, even if you can't recognize it now. Have you forgotten this? Can you tell me your favorite verse in it? Oh, yes, I can, said Leonore. It is the verse. God, who dispossesses all things well i want but what thou givest me oh how can we thine acts foretell when thou art far more wise than we yes i always feel better when i think of that leonore added after a time in a totally changed voice it makes me happy because i know that god can do for us what salo and i can't do for ourselves but when everything stays the same for so long and there is no prospect of any change. It is so hard to keep this faith. If we can't do anything for ourselves, it seems as if everything would have to be that way. The woman said that if anybody is homeless once, he has to remain that way for the rest of his life. No, no, Leonore, Mrs. Maxa answered. You must not take a chance word seriously. The poor woman only said it because she saw no immediate help for her children. It is not true at all. Of course, you can't look ahead into your future, but you can ask God to give you full confidence in Him. Then you can leave it all to Him, and the sense of His protection will make you calmer. It will also keep you from making uncertain plans, which might only bring fresh disappointments. Leonore had attentively followed every word Mrs. Maxa had uttered. Looking thoughtfully in front of her for a moment, she said, Aunt Maxa, this was the mode of address she had long ago been granted, don't you want me to think of Apollonie's cottage either? Shall we have a disappointment if I hope that we can find a home there? Yes, my dear child, it is entirely out of the question for you and your brother to live there. I should not tell you this if I were not absolutely certain, and you can imagine that I should not shatter such a hope if I did not have to. It hurt Mrs. Maxa very much to say this, but she found it necessary. She knew that Apollonie, in her measureless love and admiration, would never be able to refuse a single one of Leonore's wishes, even if it meant the impossible. "'I shall not think about it any more, then,' said Leonore, embracing Mrs. Maxa, with utter confidence, "'and I shall be glad now that I can still remain with you.' Later that evening, when the children were all together, and Leonore had conquered her grief for that day, a letter came for their mother from Hanover. She had informed the ladies of Leonore's complete recovery and had added that the doctor thought it necessary for the child to enjoy the strengthening mountain air for a while longer. She herself had no other wish than to keep Leonore in her house as long as possible. 
the lady's answer was full of warm thanks for her great help in their embarrassing situation they were very glad to accept her great kindness for two more weeks after which one of them would come to fetch leonore home mrs maxa glanced with a heavy heart at the child to whom she had grown as devoted as to her own she felt dreadfully sad at the thought of letting her go away so soon the worst of it was that she knew the lady's abode had never really meant a home for poor leonore it only doubled her grief to know how hard it would be for the child to leave her but as she had no right over her she could do nothing the only thing she could plan was to ask the ladies to let her have leonore sometimes during the summer holidays she decided not to dampen the children's good spirits that evening with the discouraging news in the letter End of chapter 7Chapter 8 of Maisley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Maisley by Johanna Spirey. Chapter 8. Maisley Pays Visits. Whenever Maisley found the time heavy on her hands, she would suddenly remember people who might want to see her. She had been extremely occupied all these days entertaining Leonore, as during school hours she had been the older girl's sole companion. Her brothers and sisters were now home for a holiday, and constantly surrounded Leonore. Finding herself without her usual employment, Maisley ran after her mother on the morning of the holiday, and kept on saying, "'I must go see Apollonie. I am sure Lonely is sad that I have not been to see her so long,' until her mother finally gave her permission to go that afternoon. On her way to Apollonie, Maisley had been struck by an idea which occupied her very much. She arrived at the cottage of her old friend, and sat down beside Lonely who was not in the least sad, but looked about her with the merriest eyes. "'I must go see the castle steward to-day,' she said quickly. "'I promised it, but I forgot about it.' "'No, no, Maisley,' Apollonie said evasively. "'We have lots of other things to do. We have to see if the plums are getting ripe on the tree in the corner of the garden, and after that you must see the chickens. Just think, Maisley, they have little chicks, and you will have to see them. I am sure you won't ever want to leave them.' oh yes when i have seen them i must go to the castle steward because i promised to maisley replied i am sure he has forgotten all about it and does not remember you any more apollonie said trying to ward maisley off from her design does your mamma know that you mean to go to the castle no because i only thought of it on my way here maisley assured her old friend but one must always keep a promise kurt told me that mr trius won't even let you in apollonie protested certainly he has to i know the castle steward well and he is not in the least afraid of mr trius i have noticed that said maisley firmly holding to her resolution apollonie realized that words would do no good and resolved to entertain maisley so well with the little chickens and other things that it would finally be too late for her to go to the castle maisley inspected the tiny chickens and the ripening plums with great enjoyment but as this had barely taken any time at all she soon said resolutely I have to go now because it is late. If you would like to stay home, Lonely can come with me. I am sure we can easily find the way. What are you dreaming of, Maisley? Apollonie cried out. How do you think Mr. Trius would receive you if you ask him to let you in? I should like to know. You'll find out something you won't like, I am afraid. No, no, this can't be. If you insist on going, I had better go along. Apollonie went indoors to get ready for the walk, as she always put on better clothes whenever she mounted to the castle. 
despite the fact that she might not see anyone. Lonnelly was extremely eager to have a chance to find out who was the castle steward whom Maisley had promised to visit. She had tried to persuade her grandmother to let her go with Maisley, in which case her mother would not need to change her clothes, but the latter would not even hear of it, remarking, "'You can sit on the bench under the pear tree with your knitting in the meantime, and you can sing a song. We are sure to be back again in a little while.' Soon they had started off, Apollonie firmly holding Maisley's hand. Mr. Trius appeared at the door before they even had time to ring. It seemed as if the man really had his eyes on everything. Throwing a furious glance at Maisley, he opened the door before Apollonie had said a word, but he had taken great care to leave a crack which would only allow a little person like Maisley to slip through without sticking fast in the opening. Maisley wriggled through and started to run away. The next moment the door was closed again. "'Do you think I intend to squeeze myself through, too? You do not need to bolt it, Mr. Trius,' Apollonie said, much offended. "'It is not necessary to cut off the child from me like that, so that I don't even know where she is going.' I am taking care of her, remember. Won't you please let me in, for I want to watch her, that is all. Forbidden, said Mr. Trius. Why did you let the child in? I was ordered to. What? You were ordered to? By the master? cried out Apollonie. Oh, Mr. Trius, how could he let the child go in and walk about the garden while his old servant is kept out? She ought to be in there looking after things. I am sure you have never told him how I have come to you, come again and again, and have begged you to admit me. I want to put things into their old order, and you don't want me to. You don't even know, apparently, which bed he has, and if his pillows are properly covered. You said so yourself. I am sure that the good old Baroness would have no peace in her grave if she knew all this, and this is all your fault. I can clearly see that. I can tell you one thing, though. If you refuse to give my messages to the master, as I have begged and begged you so often, I'll find another way. I'll write a letter. Won't help. What won't help? How can you know that? You won't know what's in the letter. I suppose the baron still reads his own letters, Apollonie eagerly went on. He receives no letters from these parts. This was a terrible blow for Apollonie, to whom this new thought had given great confidence. She therefore decided to say nothing more and quietly watched Mr. Trius as he walked up and down inside the garden. Maisley, in the meantime, had eagerly pursued her way and was soon up on the terrace. Glancing about from there, she saw the gentleman again, stretched out in the shadow of the pine tree. She had seen him first, and the glinting cover was lying again on his knees. Maisley ran over to him. "'How do you do, Mr. Castle Steward? Are you angry with me because I have not come for so long?' She called out to him from a distance, and a moment later she was by his side. "'It was only on account of Leonore,' Maisley continued. "'I should otherwise have come ages ago, but when the others are all in school, she can't be left alone, so I stay with her, and I like to do it because she is so nice. Everybody likes Leonore. Everybody likes her terribly. Kurt and Bruno, too. They stay home all the time now because Leonore is with us. You ought to know how nice she is. You would like her dreadfully right away.' "'Do you think so?' said the gentleman, while something like a smile played about his lips. "'Is it your sister?' "'My sister? No, indeed,' Maisley said, quite astonished at his error. "'She is Salo's sister, the boy who was with us, and who had to go back to Hanover. She has to go back to Hanover, too, as soon as she is well, and Mama always gets very sad when she talks about it. But Mia gets sadder still, and even cries. Leonore hates to leave us, but she has to. She cried dreadfully once, because she can never, never have a home.' As long as she lives, she'll have to be homeless. The beggar woman who came with the two ragged children said that. 
They were homeless, and Leonore said afterwards, I am that way too, and then she cried terribly, and we were sent out into the garden. She might have cried still more if she had thought about our having a home with Mama while she has none. She has no Papa or anybody, but you must not think that she is a homeless child with a torn dress. She looks quite different. Maybe she can find a home in a Polonese little house under the hill. Then Salo can come home to her in the holidays, but Mama does not think that this can be. But Leonore wants it ever so much. I must bring her to you one day. Who are you, child? What is your name? asked the gentleman abruptly. Maisley looked at him in astonishment. I am Maisley, she said, and Mama has the same name as I have. But they don't call her that. Some people call her Mrs. Rector. Some Mama, and Uncle Philip says Maxa to her, and Leonore calls her Aunt Maxa. Is your father the rector of Nola? the gentleman asked. He has been in heaven a long while, and he was in heaven before we came here. But Mama wanted to come back to Nola because this was her home. We don't live in the rectory now, but where there is a garden with lots of paths, and where the big currant bushes are in the corners, here and here and here, Maisley traced the position of the bushes exactly on the lion-skin. The castle steward, leaning back in his chair, said nothing more. "'Do you find it very tiresome here?' Maisley asked sympathetically. "'Yes, I do,' was the answer. "'Have you no picture-book?' "'No.' "'Oh, I'll bring you one as soon as I come again, and then—but perhaps you have a headache?' Maisley interrupted herself. "'When my mamma wrinkles up her forehead the way you do, she always has a headache.' and one must get her some cold water to make it better. I'll quickly get some, and the next instant Maisley was gone. Come back, child, the gentleman called after her. There is nobody in the castle, and you won't find any. It seemed strange to Maisley that there should be nobody to bring water to the castle steward. I'll find somebody for him, she said, eagerly running down the incline to the door, in whose vicinity Mr. Trius was wandering up and down. You are to go up to the castle steward at once, she said, standing still in front of him, and you are to bring him some cold water, because he has a headache, but very quickly. Mr. Trius glanced at Maisley in an infuriated way, as if to say, How do you dare to come to me like this? Then, throwing the door wide open, he growled like a cross bear. Out of here first, so I can close it. After Maisley had slipped out, he banged the big door with all his might, so that the hinges rattled. Turning the monstrous key twice in the lock, he also bolted it with a vengeance. By this he meant to show that no one could easily go in again at his pleasure. Apollonie, who had been sitting down in the shade not far from the door, now went up to Maisley and said, You stayed there a long time. What did the gentleman say? Very little, but I told him a lot, Maisley said. He has a headache, Apollonie, and just think, nobody ever brings him any water, and Mr. Trius even turns the key and bolts the door before he goes to him. Apollonie broke out into such lamentations and complaints after these words that Maisley could not bear it. "'But he has the water long ago, Apollonie. I am sure Mr. Trius gave it to him. Please don't go on so,' she said, a trifle impatiently. But this was only oil poured on the flames. "'Yes, no one knows what he does and what he doesn't do,' Apollonie lamented louder than ever. "'The poor master is sick.' and all his servant does is to stumble about the place not asking after his needs and letting everything go to rack and ruin not a cabbage head or a pea plant is to be seen not one strawberry or raspberry no golden apricots on the wall or a single little dainty peach the disorder everywhere is frightful when i think how wonderfully it used to be managed by the baroness 
Apollonie kept on wiping her eyes because present conditions worried her dreadfully. "'You can't understand it, Maisley,' she continued when she had calmed down a trifle. "'You see, child, I should be glad to give a finger of my right hand if I could go up there one day a week in order to arrange things for the master as they should be, and fix the garden and the vegetables. The stuff the old soldier is giving him to eat is perfectly horrid, I know.' Maisley hated to hear complaints, so she always looked for a remedy. "'You don't need to be so unhappy,' she said. "'Just cook some nice milk pudding for him, and I'll take it up to him. "'Then he'll have something good to eat, something much better than vegetables. "'Oh, yes, a thousand times better.' "'Oh, you little innocent! "'Oh, when I think of forty years ago!' Apollonie cried out, but she complained no further. Maisley's answer had given her the conviction that the child could not possibly understand the difficult situation she was in. Maisley chattered gaily by Apollonie's side, and as soon as she reached home, wanted to tell her mother what had happened. But the child was to have no opportunity for that day. The mother had been very careful in keeping the contents of Miss Remke's letter from the children, in order not to spoil their last two weeks together. Unfortunately, Bruno had that day received a letter from Salo, in which he wrote, that in ten days one of the ladies was coming to fetch Leonor home, as she was completely well. Salo remarked quite frankly that he himself hardly looked forward to Leonor's coming, as he saw in each of her letters how happy she was in Aunt Max's household and how difficult the separation would be for her. Whenever he thought how hard it would be for her to grow accustomed to the change again, all his joy vanished at the prospect of her return. Bruno had read the whole letter aloud and had therewith conjured up such consternation and grief on every side that the mother hardly knew how to comfort them. Leonore herself was sitting in the midst of the excited group. She gave no sound and had unsuccessfully tried to swallow her rising tears, but they had got the better of her and were falling over her cheeks in a steady stream. Mia was crying excitedly. Oh, mother, you must help us. You have to write to the ladies that they mustn't come. Please don't let Leonore go. Bruno remarked passionately that no one had the right to drag a sick person on a journey against the doctor's wishes. The doctor had said the last time he had been here that Leonore was to have not less than a month for her complete recovery. Kurt cried out over and over again, "'Oh, mother, it's cruel, it's perfectly cruel. We all want to keep her here, and she wants to stay. Now she is to be violently taken from us. Isn't that absolutely cruel?' Lipo, coming close to Leonore, also did his best to console her. He remembered that he could not say, stay with us, any more, but he had another plan. "'Don't cry, Leonore,' he said encouragingly. "'As soon as I am big, Uncle Philip has promised to give me a house and a lot of meadows. I'll be a farmer then, and I'll write to you to come to live with me, and Salo can come for the holidays, too.' Leonore could not help smiling, but it only brought more tears when she thought how much love she was receiving from all these children, and that she had to leave them and might never see them again. The mother's attempts to comfort them failed entirely, because she had no hope herself. In the middle of this agitating scene, Maisley arrived, perfectly happy and filled with her recent experiences. She wished to relate what the castle steward had said to her, and what she had said to him, and what had happened afterwards, but no one listened because they were so deeply absorbed with their own disturbing thoughts. They were not in the least interested in what Maisley had to say about the steward, as they all thought that the steward was Mr. Trius. That evening the unheard-of happened. Maisley actually begged to go to bed before the evening song had been sung, because the depressing atmosphere in the house was so little to her taste that she even preferred to go to bed. Mia had been hoping till now that her mother would find some means to keep Leonore. If it could not be the way Apollonie planned, she might at least stay for a long stretch of time. 
All of a sudden, this hope was gone entirely, and the day of separation was terribly near. The girl looked so completely miserable that when she started out for school the next day, that the mother had not the heart to let her go without a little comfort. "'You only need to go to school two more days, Mia,' she said. "'Next week you can stay home and spend all your time with Leonore.' Mia was very glad to hear it, but without uttering a word she ran away, for everything that concerned Leonore brought tears to her eyes. Leonore had been looking so pale the last few days that Mrs. Maxa surveyed her anxiously. Perhaps the recovery had not been as complete as they had hoped, for the news of the closed date of her departure had proved to be a great strain for her. Mrs. Maxa went about quite downcast and silent herself. Nothing for a long time had been so hard for her to bear as the thought of separation from the little girl she had begun to love like one of her own, who had also grown so lovingly attached to her. The pressure lay on them all very heavily. Bruno never said a word. Kurt, standing in a corner with a notebook, was busily scribbling down his melancholy thoughts but he did not show his verses to anyone, as the tragic feeling in them might have drawn remarks from Bruno, which he might not have been able to endure. Lippo faithfully followed Leonora whenever she went, and from time to time repeated his consoling words. But he said them in such a wailing voice that they sounded extremely doleful. Maisley alone still gazed about her with merry eyes, and was dancing with joy when she saw that it was a bright, sunny day. "'You can take a little walk with Leonore, Maisley,' the mother said immediately after lunch, as soon as the other children had started off to school. "'Leonore will grow too pale if she does not get into the open air. "'Take her on a pretty walk, Maisley. You might go to Apollonie.' Maisley most willingly got her little hat, and the children set out. When they had passed halfway across the garden, Maisley suddenly stood still. "'Oh, I forgot something,' she said. "'I have to go back again. Please wait for me. I won't be long.' Maisley disappeared, but came back very shortly with a large picture book under each arm. They were the biggest she had found, and she had chosen them because she thought the bigger the books, the bigger his delight at looking at them. Now I'll tell you what I thought, she said, on reaching Leonore. You see, up in the castle under a big tree sits the sick castle steward. I promised to go see him soon again and to bring him a picture book, but I am bringing him two because he'll like two better. I also promised to bring you and something else besides. You don't know why he needs that other thing, but you will hear when we are up there. Let us go now. But, Maisley, I don't know the gentleman, and he doesn't know me, Leonore began to object. I can't go, because he might not like it. Besides, your mother knows nothing about it. But Maisley had not the slightest intention of giving up her expedition. I have everything I want to bring him now, and the castle steward has probably been waiting for us all day, so... You see, we simply must go. Mama also says that one has to go to see sick people and bring them things because it cheers them up. He has to sit all day alone under the tree, and he gets dreadfully tired. When he has a headache, not a person comes to bring him anything. It is not nice of you not to want to go when he is expecting us. Maisley had talked so eagerly that she not only became absolutely convinced herself that it would be the greatest wrong if she did not go to see the castle steward, but produced a similar feeling in Leonore. "'I shall gladly go with you, if you think the sick gentleman does not object,' she said. "'I only didn't know whether he would want us.' Maisley was satisfied now, and gaily talking, led Leonore toward the lofty iron door. The path led up between fragrant meadows and heavily laden apple trees, and when they reached their destination they found it quite superfluous to ring the bell. 
Mr. Trius had long ago observed them, and stood immovably behind the door. Hoping that he would open it, the children waited expectantly, but he did not budge. "'We want to pay a visit to the castle, steward,' said Maisley. "'You'd better open soon.' "'Not for two, was the answer. "'Certainly. We both have to go in, because he is expecting us,' Maisley informed him. "'I promised to bring Leonore, so you'd better open.' But Mr. Trius did not stir. "'Come, Maisley, we'd better go back,' said Leonore, in a low voice. "'Can't you see that he won't open it? Maybe he is not allowed.' But it was no easy matter to turn Maisley from her project. "'If he won't open it, I'll scream so loud that the castle steward will hear it,' she said obstinately. "'He is sure to say something then, for he is waiting for us. I can shout very loud. Just listen. Mr. Castle Steward!' Her cry was so vigorous that Mr. Trius became quite blue with rage. "'Be quiet, you little monster!' he said. But he opened the door nevertheless. "'Maybe we shouldn't go in,' said Leonore. Maisley pulled her along, however, and never let go her hand till they had reached the terrace. She had no desire to leave her friend behind when they were so near their goal. Now Maisley, quickly taking back the second picture book, which Leonore had been carrying for her, began to run. "'Just come, Leonore. Look, there he sits already.' With this, Maisley flew over to the large pine tree. "'How do you do, Mr. Castle Steward? Didn't I come soon again this time?' She merrily called out to him. "'I have also brought everything I promised. Here are the picture books. Look, two of them. I thought you might look through one too quickly.' Maisley laid both books on the lion skin and began to rummage through her pockets. "'Look what else I brought you,' and Maisley laid down a tiny ivory whistle. "'Kurt gave it to me once, and now I give it to you. If you have a headache and Mr. Trius is far away, all you need to do is to whistle. Then he can come and bring you some water. He'll hear it far, far away, because it whistles as loud as anything. Just try it once. I have also brought you Leonore. The gentleman started slightly and looked up. Leonore had shyly retreated behind the chair, but Maisley pulled her forward. The gentleman now threw a penetrating glance at the delicate-looking little girl, who hardly dared to raise her large, dark eyes to his. Leonore, who had blushed violently under his scrutiny, said in a barely audible voice, "'Perhaps we should not have come, but Maisley thought we might be allowed to see you. Can we do something for you? Perhaps Maisley should not have brought me. Oh, I am so sorry if I have offended you.' "'No, indeed. Maisley meant well when she wanted me to meet her friend,' the gentleman said in quite a friendly voice. "'What is the name of Maisley's friend?' "'Leonore von Wallerstaten,' the girl answered, and noticing the large books on the gentleman's knees, she added, "'May I take the books away? They might be too heavy.' "'Yes, you might, but it was very good of Maisley to bring them all the way up to me,' he said. "'I'll look at them a little later.' "'May I fix your pillow for you? It does not do you much good that way,' said Leonore, pulling it up. It had long ago slipped out of position. "'Oh, this is better. This is lovely.' the sick man replied, comfortably leaning back in the chair. "'What a shame! It won't stay, I am afraid. It is falling down again,' said Leonore regretfully. "'We ought to have a ribbon, if I only had one and a thread and needle. But perhaps we could come again to-morrow.' Leonore became quite frightened suddenly at her boldness and remained silent from embarrassment, but Maisley got her out of this trying situation. Full of confidence, 
she announced that they would return the next day with everything necessary the gentleman now asked leonore where she came from and where she lived she related that she had been living in a boarding school for several years ever since the death of her great-aunt with whom both she and her brother had found a home you have no other relations the gentleman asked keenly observing her the while no none at all except an uncle who has been living in spain for many years my aunt told us that he won't ever come back and that no one knows where he is if we knew where he is we should have written to him long ago sailor would go to spain as soon as he was allowed to and i should go to him in any case why the gentleman asked because he is our father's brother she replied and we could love him like a father too he is the only person in the whole world to whom we could belong we have wished many and many a time a chance to look for him because we might live with him no you couldn't do that i know him i have been in spain the castle steward said curtly a light spread over leonore's face as if her heart had been suddenly flooded with hope oh do you really know our uncle do you know where he is do you know where he is living she cried out while her cheeks flushed with happiness oh please tell me what you know about him when she gazed up at the gentleman with such sparkling eyes it seemed to him that he ought to consider his reply carefully suddenly he said positively no no you can never seek him out your uncle is an old sick man and no young people could possibly live with him he must remain alone in his old owl's nest you could not go to him there but we should go to him so much more if he is old and ill he needs us more than if he had a family leonore said eagerly he could be our father and we his children and we could take care of him and love him if he only were not so dreadfully far away if you could only tell us where he lives we could write to him and get his permission to go there without him we can't do anything at all because mr von stile in hanover wants salo to study for years and years longer we have to do everything he says unless our uncle should call us oh please tell me where he lives just think of all the deprivations you would have to suffer with your old uncle think how lonely it would be for you to live with a sick man in a wild nest among the rocks what do you say to that he said curtly oh it would only be glorious for salo and me to have a real home with an uncle we loved leonore continued showing that her longing could not be quenched there is only one thing i should miss there but i have to miss it in hanover too i shall never never feel at home there well what is this the gentleman queried that i can't be together with aunt maxa and the children shall we ask aunt maxa's advice would this suit you child oh yes indeed leonore answered happily at the mention of aunt maxa she suddenly remembered that they had not told her where they were going as she was afraid that they had remained away too long already leonore urged maisley to take her leave quickly while she gave her hand to the steward will you deliver a message for me leonore he said will you tell your aunt maxa that the master of the castle whom she knew long years ago would love to visit her but he is unable ask her if he may hope that she will come up to him at the castle instead maisley gave her hand now to say good-bye and when she noticed that the pillow had slipped down again she said apollonie would just love to set things in order for you but mr treus won't let her in she would be willing to give a finger from her right hand if she were allowed to do everything mr treus doesn't do come now maisley said leonore for she had the feeling that this 
peculiar revelation might be followed by others as unintelligible but the castle steward smiled as if he had comprehended maisley's words mrs maxa was standing in front of her house surrounded by her children anxiously looking for the two missing ones nobody could understand where leonore and maisley might have stayed so long suddenly they caught a glimpse of two blue ribbons fluttering from leonore's hat quickly the children rushed to meet them where did you come from where did you stay so long where have you been all this time sounded from all sides in the castle was the answer the excitement only grew at this how could you get there who opened the door what did you do at the castle the questions were poured out at such a rate that no answer could possibly have been heard i went to see the castle steward before i have been to see him quite often said maisley loudly for she was desirous of being heard leonore had gone ahead with the mother's arm linked in hers for she was very anxious to deliver her message kurt was too much interested in maisley's expedition to the castle to be frightened off by the first unintelligible account he had to find out how it had come about and what had happened but the two did not get very far in their dialogue as soon as maisley began to talk first about mr trius and then about the steward kurt always said quickly but this is all one and the same person don't make two out of them maisley all the world knows that mr trius is the steward of castle wildenstein he is one person and not two then maisley answered mr trius is one and the castle steward is another they are two people and not one after they had repeated this about three times bruno said oh kurt leave her alone maisley thinks that there are two when she calls him first mr trius and then mr castle steward that was too much for maisley and shouting vigorously they are two people they are two people she ran away leonore had related in the meantime how maisley had proposed to visit the sick castle steward and how she had at first been reluctant to go till maisley had made her feel that she was wrong she related everything that had happened and all the questions he had asked her just think aunt maxa leonore went on the gentleman knows our uncle in spain he said that he had been there too and he knows that our uncle is old and ill and is living all by himself i wanted so much to find out where he was and asked him to tell me but he thought it would not help as we couldn't possibly go to him so i said that we might write and just think aunt maxa at last he said he would ask your advice then leonore gave her message he did not say that the castle steward as he called himself to maisley sent the message but told me that it was from the master of the castle whom you knew a long time ago leonore concluded oh just think aunt maxa we might find our uncle after all oh please help us for i want so much to write to him mrs maxa had listened with ever-growing agitation and she was so deeply affected that she could not say a word she could not express the thought which thrilled her so because she did not know the baron's intentions mia's loud complaints at this moment conveniently hid her mother's silence oh leonore she cried out if you go to spain we shan't see each other again for the rest of our lives then you will never never come back here any more do you really think so leonore asked much downcast she felt that it would be hard for her to choose in such a case and she suddenly did not know if she really wanted to go to spain it is not very easy to make a trip to spain children said the mother and i'm sure that it is not necessary to get excited about it when kurt after the belated supper that night renewed his examination about the single or the double steward of castle wildenstein 
their mother announced that bedtime had not only come for the little ones but for all soon after the whole lively party was sleeping soundly and only the mother was still sitting in her room sunk in deep meditation she had not been able to think over the baron's words till now and she wondered what hopes she might build upon them he might only want to talk over leonore's situation because he had realized how little she felt at home in hanover but all this thinking led to nothing and she knew that our good lord in heaven who opens doors which seem most tightly barred had let it happen for a purpose she was so grateful that she would be able to see the person who more than anyone else held leonore's destiny in his hands full of confidence in god she hoped that the hand which had opened an impassable road would also lead an embittered heart back to himself and by renewing in him the love of his fellow men bring about much happiness and joy end of chapter eight chapter nine of maisley this librivox recording is in the public domain maisley by johanna spirey chapter nine in the castle the next afternoon, after planning a pleasant walk for Leonore and Maisley, Mrs. Maxa started on her way to the castle. As soon as she neared the grated iron door, it opened wide, and holding his hat in his hand, Mr. Trius stood deeply bowing in the open. "'May I see the Baron?' asked Mrs. Maxa. After another reverence, Mr. Trius led the visitor up the hill, and when he had duly announced her, invited her with a third bow to step forward. It was quite evident that Mr. Trius had been definitely ordered to change his usual mode of behavior. Mrs. Maxa now approached the chair near the pine tree. "'Have you really come, Mrs. Maxa?' said the sick man, putting out his hand. "'Did no bitter feelings against the evildoer keep you back?' Mrs. Maxa pressed the proffered hand, and replied, "'I could wish for no greater joy, Baron, than to have your door open for me.' I have wondered oftener than you could think if this would ever happen, for I wanted an opportunity to serve you. I know no bitter feelings, and never have known them. Everybody who has loved this castle and its inmates has known they suffered grief and pain. I return to this old cave here to die, said the baron. You can see plainly that I am a broken man. I only wish to forget the past in this solitude, and I thought it right for me to die forgotten. Then your little girl came in here one day. I have not been able to discover how. Oh, please forgive her, said Mrs. Maxa. It is a riddle to me, too, how she succeeded in entering this garden. I knew nothing about it till yesterday evening when the children came home from the castle. I am terribly afraid that Maisley has annoyed you. She has not done so at all, for she is her mother's true child, said the baron. She was so anxious to help me and to bring me what I lacked. Because she loved Leonore so much, she wanted me to know her too. But I cannot understand Leonore. She begged and begged to be allowed to see her uncle, as she wished to live with him and love him like a father. She even longs to seek him out in a foreign country. What shall I do? Please give me your advice, Mrs. Maxa. There is only one thing to do, Baron, the lady replied with an overflowing heart. God himself has done what we never could have accomplished, despite all our wishes. The child has been led into your arms by God, and therefore belongs to you from now on. 
you must become her father and let her love and take care of you you will soon realize what a treasure she is and through her the good old times will come back to this castle you will grow young again yourself as soon as you two are here together the baron replied our dear maxa always saw things in an ideal light how could a delicate child like leonore fit into a wilderness like this castle everything here is deserted and forlorn just think of the old watchman here and me what miserable housemates we should be won't you receive the child in your home for she clearly longs to have a home i know that she will find one there and apparently has found it already she can learn by and by who her uncle is and then she can come to visit him sometimes amazed at this sudden change mrs maxa was silent for a while how she would have rejoiced at this prospect a few days ago i love leonora like my own child and want nothing better than to keep her with me she said finally but i think differently now the children belong to you and the castle of their fathers must become their home you must let leonore surround you with her delightful and soothing personality which is sure to make you happy when you come to know her you will soon realize of what i should have robbed you there is no necessity at all for the castle to remain forlorn and empty despite the loss of our dear loved ones the life here can again become as pleasant as in former times your mother always hoped that this would happen at her eldest son's return as she had desired that his home should remain unchanged even after her death leonore can have her quarters in your mother's room i wonder if you would like to see the rooms you knew so well mrs maxa the baron said slowly mrs maxa gladly assented to this may i go everywhere she asked i know my way so well certainly wherever you wish the baron replied entering the large hall mrs maxa was filled with deep emotion here she had spent the most beautiful days of her childhood in delicious games with the unforgettable leonore and the two young barons everything was as it had been then the large stone table in the middle the stone benches on the walls and the niches with the old knights of wallerstetten stood there as of yore when she went into the dining hall everything looked bare and empty the portraits of ancestors had been taken from the walls and the glinting pewter plates and goblets were gone from the large oaken sideboard mrs maxa shook her head going up the stairs she decided first of all to go to the baron's rooms for she wondered what care he was receiving rigid with consternation she stopped under the doorway what a room it was not the tiniest picture was on the wall and not a single small rug lay on the uneven boards nothing but an empty bedstead an old wicker chair and a table which had plainly been dragged there from the servants quarters comprised the furniture mrs maxa looked again to make sure that it was really the baron's room there was no doubt of it it was the balcony room in the tower where did the baron sleep as the sight proved more than she could bear she quickly sought the late baroness's chamber here too everything was empty and the red plush covered chairs and the sofa in the corner over which all the pictures of the children used to hang were gone only an empty bedstead stood in the corner mrs maxa went next to leonore's room which used to be extremely pretty lovely pictures used to hang on the walls chairs covered in light blue silk were standing about 
A half-rounded bed was placed in a corner, and she remembered the dearest little desk on which two flower vases, always filled with fresh roses, used to stand. Mrs. Maxa did not even go in this time. It was too horribly forlorn. The only thing which still spoke of old times was the wallpaper with the tiny red and blue flowers. She quickly went out, throwing a single glance at the large ballroom. She likened it to a dreary desert. Not a curtain, not a chair, or painting could be seen. Where could all the valuable damask-covered furniture have gone to? Was it possible that the castle had been robbed and no one knew of it? It was probable, however, that Mr. Trius did not know about anything, and it was plain that the Baron himself had not troubled about these things. Mrs. Maxa hurriedly went back to him. "'To what a dreary home you have come back, my poor friend!' she cried out. "'And I know that your mother never wished you to find it like this. How unhappy you must have felt when you entered these walls after so many years!' You cannot help feeling miserable here, and it is all quite incomprehensible to me. Not to me, the baron quietly replied. I somehow felt it had to be that way. Did I value my home before? It is a just retribution to me to find the place so empty and forlorn. I only return to die here, and I can await death in daytime on my chair out here, and at nighttime in my nest. I need nothing further, but death has not come as quickly as I thought it would. Why are you trying to bring me back to life again? This is what I decidedly mean to do, so we shall banish the subject of death from now on, as I confidently believe that our Lord in heaven has other plans for you, Mrs. Maxa said decisively. I can see for myself that it is better for Leonore to stay with us, and I am ever so happy for your permission. May I write the ladies in Hanover that you do not want? Leonore, to be fetched away for the present. The Baron heartily gave this permission. I have to trouble you for one thing, Baron. Can you remember Apollonie, who was for so many years your most faithful servant? The Baron smilingly answered, Of course I remember her. How could I possibly forget Apollonie, who was always ready to help us in everything? Your little daughter has already given me news of her. She is the only one who might know what happened to the furniture. Mrs. Maxa continued. I am going to see her right away, and I wish you would admit her when she comes. In case the place has really been robbed, you must let me get what you require. Nobody is looking after you, and you stand sorely in need of good care. I am quite sure that your mother would like me to look after you. Do you not think so? I do, the Baron replied smilingly, and I feel that I ought to be obedient. After these words, Mrs. Maxa took her leave and rapidly walked down the mountain. She unexpectedly entered Apollonie's garden while the latter was working there, and immediately described to her the terrible state of things at the castle. She had always believed that the baron would find it like home, like and furnished, and now everything was gone, and he had not even a bed to sleep in, but was obliged to spend both day and night in his chair. Apollonie had been wringing her hands all the time and broke out at last bitterly. How could I have foreseen that? Oh, what a Turk! What a savage! What an old heathen that miserable Trius is! She sobbed, full of rage and grief. I understand now why he never answered my questions. I have asked him many a time if he had taken out the right bed and was using the things belonging to it, which were marked with a blue crown in the corners. He only used to grin at me and never said a word. 
He never even looked for them and calmly let my poor sick baron suffer. Nothing is missing, not even the tiniest picture or trifle, and he had to come back to a terrible waste. All my sleepless nights were not in vain, but I had not the slightest idea that it could be as bad as that. The worst of it is that it is my fault. Yes, it really is all my fault, Mrs. Maxa. And Apollonie went on to tell how this had come about. Baron Bruno had only heard the news of his brother's marriage and his mother's death when he returned the first time years ago. He left again immediately, and she was quite sure that he did not intend to return for a long while. As no one had lived at the castle for so long, she had decided to put all the beautiful things safely away, in order to keep them from ruin and possible thieves. So she had stored them in the attic, wrapped in sheets, and had locked the place up. Apollonie had never doubted that she would be called to the castle as soon as the baron returned, for she belonged there as of old, and occupied the little gardener's cottage belonging to it. But her dreams were not to come true. "'I must go to him this minute,' gasped Apollonie. She had spoken rapidly and with intense excitement. "'I want to fix my master's room today. I am sure I can do it, for all the furniture from the different rooms is marked and grouped together. But shall I be let in?' The horrible, stubborn old watchman always keeps me out. But Mrs. Maxa was able to quiet her on that score, by the baron's recent promise, and she even urged Apollonie to start directly. The baron should be told of the situation, and have a bed prepared for him that night. After this, Mrs. Maxa left. Leonore, knowing where the mother had gone, flew to meet her when she saw her coming. "'Did he give you the address, Aunt Maxa?' she asked expectantly. He means to let you know when he has traced it. This seemed quite hopeful to Leonore, and she was glad to be able to give her brother this news. Mrs. Maxa herself lost no time in writing to the ladies in Hanover that Leonore's uncle had returned and wished to keep her near him. Apollonie was meanwhile getting ready for her walk. Her agitation was so great that she took rather long in getting ready. Her toilet finally completed, she hurried up the incline with astonishing ease, for the hope of being admitted to the castle made her feel at least ten years younger, though she still had some doubts whether the door would be opened for her. On her arrival, she pulled the bell-rope. Mr. Trius appeared, quietly opened and silently walked away again. Apollonie, who knew from Maisley where the master was, went towards the terrace. When she saw the sick man, she was completely overcome by memories of former times. She only said shakily, "'Oh, Baron, Baron, I cannot bear this. It is my fault that you have no proper room or bed, and ill and suffering as you are.' Apollonie could get no further for sobs and tears. The Baron shook her hand kindly. "'What is the matter, Mrs. Apollonie? We have always been good friends. What do you mean?' He then heard from Apollonie that it had been the Baroness's wish to leave the whole house unchanged on account of his possible return. Apollonie frankly admitted that she had only moved the things away to keep them from being ruined, and had naturally counted on putting every object back again as soon as he came back, for she remembered where every pincushion and tiny picture belonged. She begged the baron's permission to let her fix his room today, another one the day after, and so on till the castle looked again as his mother had wished it to be. The baron replied that Apollonie could do whatever she chose, adding that he trusted her entirely. Her heart was filled with joy as she ran towards the attic. She came down soon afterwards laden with blankets, sheets, and pillows, only to go up again for a new load. She went on for a couple of hours, and between times she set the manifold objects in order, 
how gladly she put up the heavy hangings in the baron's room she knew how he had always loved the beautiful red color which dimmed the bright sunlight apollonie stood still in the middle of the room and looked about her everything was there down to the two penholders the baron had last been using which were on the big shell of the bronze inkstand beside them lay a black pen wiper with red and white roses which miss leonore herself had embroidered the cover was half turned back and the snow-white bed with the high pillows was ready to receive the sick man over the bed hung a little picture of his mother which had been there since his boyhood and apollonie had also remembered every other detail when she went down to the terrace a cool evening breeze was already blowing through the branches of the pine tree everything is ready baron she said we are going to carry you up together because mr trius can't do it alone i am sure you will sleep well tonight where do you want to take me the baron asked surprise i am quite comfortable here no no baron it is getting too cool for you here your room is a better place at this hour your mother would have wished it i am sure will you allow me to call mr trius i'll have to give in i suppose the baron acquiesced mr trius was already on the spot for he was blessed with splendid hearing you are to carry me up said the baron apollonie will show you how it is done apollonie immediately seized him firmly about the waist you do the same mr trius she said then please baron put one arm about his neck and one around mine we shall clasp hands under your feet and lift you up in the most easy comfortable way the baron was lifted and carried to his chamber and placed on the fresh bed leaning back on the easy pillows he looked about him how charming it is he said letting his glance rest here and there you have brought everything back mrs apollonie and you have made it look the way it was years ago make things comfortable for him for the night now apollonie whispered to mr trius leaving the room to repair to the kitchen gracious heavens what disorder she cried out on entering for the whole place was covered with dust and spider webs opening a cupboard she saw only a loaf of bread and a couple of eggs and this was all she was able to find even on further search what a wretch she cried out in bitter rage he seems to give his master nothing but eggs but i know what i'll do she said to herself eagerly seeking for a key which she discovered as of old on a rusty nail next she repaired to the cellar where she quickly found what she was after the bottle stood in sore need of cleaning however as did everything else she touched then she set about beating two eggs adding a glass of the strengthening wine for she had vividly recollected how much her master used to enjoy this when she entered his room with this concoction a little later the odor from it was so inviting that the baron breathed it in gratefully mr trius had left the room and apollonie had put the empty cup away and yet she kept on setting trifles in order oh baron she said finally there is so much to do still i saw the kitchen just now if the baroness had seen it as dirty as that what would she have said and every other place is the same i feel as if i couldn't rest till everything is set in order i wish i could work all night no no apollonie you must have a good night's rest i intend to sleep too in this lovely bed he said smilingly would you like to live here again and undertake the management of the castle apollonie stared at her master at first as if she could not comprehend his words tell me what you think of it are you willing to do it he asked again am i willing am i willing 
oh baron of course i am and you cannot know how happy i am she cried out with frank delight i can come to-morrow morning baron to-morrow but now i wonder what you'll say you see i am living with my daughter's child who is twelve years old she is a very good child but is scarcely old enough yet to help much in the house and garden how splendid when apollonie will be too old to do the work we shall have a young one to carry it on said the baron when you move up here to-morrow you will know which quarters to choose for yourself i know the baron sank back with evident comfort into his pillows and apollonie wandered home with a heart overflowing with happiness at the first rays of the sun next morning she was already in front of her cottage packing only the most necessary things for herself and the child into a cart as she intended to fetch the rest of them later Lonely had just heard the great news because she had been asleep when her grandmother returned the night before she was so absolutely overcome by the prospect of becoming an inmate of the castle that she stood still in the middle of the little chamber come come the grandmother urged we have no time for wondering as we shall have to be busy all day what will kurt and mia say was lonely's first exclamation she would have loved to run over to them right away for whenever anything happened to her she always felt the wish to tell her two best friends yes and think what mrs rector will say apollonie added but let us quickly finish up here for we must get to the castle as soon as possible you are not going to school for the next two days and on sunday i hope to be all done apollonie rapidly tied up her bundle and locked the cottage door then quickly setting out they did not stop till they had reached the iron grated door mr trius after letting them wait a while appeared with dragging steps why not before daybreak he growled because you might have been still in bed and could not have unlocked the door but for that i should have come then apollonie quickly retorted so he silently led the way for he had had to realize that apollonie was not in the least backward now that she had the master's full support she first sought out her old chamber and lonely was extremely puzzled to see her grandmother wiping her eyes over and over again the whole thing was like a beautiful fairy story to the child and she loved the charming room with the dark wainscoting along the wall but apollonie did not indulge very long in dreams and memories soon after she was making war on the fine spiderwebs in the kitchen and in a couple of hours it already looked livable and cosy there mr trius smiled quite pleasantly when he entered as he was just on the point of brewing himself and his master a cup of coffee the only thing he usually added was a piece of dry bread as he was too lazy to get milk and butter from the neighboring farmers and his master had never asked for either the steaming coffee and hot milk and fresh white bread apollonie had prepared looked very appetizing to him the wooden benches were clean and scrubbed and he didn't object to absence of the annoying spider-webs which had always tickled his nose apollonie pouring the fragrant beverage into a large cup politely invited mr trius to take his seat at the table he could not help enjoying the meal and the new order of things in the kitchen apollonie now prepared the breakfast tray setting it on the good old china that the baroness had always used she had put a plate with round butter-balls beside the steaming coffee-pot, and fresh round rolls peeped invitingly from an old-fashioned little china basket. When Apollonie came to her master's room, he exclaimed, "'Oh, how good this looks! Just like old times!' 
At first he thought that even looking at it would do him good, but Apollonie did not agree with him. "'Please take a little, Baron,' she begged him. "'Otherwise your strength will not come back. Take a little bit at first, and gradually more and more. I know you will like the butter. Loneli got it at the best farm hereabouts.' After tasting a little, the Baron was surprised how good it was. When her master was comfortably sitting in the lovely morning sun, Apollonie fetched Lonely out. She wanted the child to thank him for receiving her into his house. Now the great task of cleaning and moving began, and it took a whole day of feverish activity to get the rooms in the castle settled. Only at mealtimes was this interrupted, for Apollonie did not look at this as a minor matter, and she carefully planned what to give her master. For Mr. Trius she had to consider the quantity, for he seemed to have an excellent appetite and clearly enjoyed coming to the neat-looking kitchen. He had begun to show his gratitude to Apollonie by willingly carrying the heavy furniture about. Two days had passed in uninterrupted work, and Apollonie had accomplished what she had set out to do. When she brought her master his breakfast on Sunday, she stood irresolutely holding the doorknob in her hand. "'Have you something to tell me, Apollonie?' You certainly can't complain that I don't appreciate your delicious coffee. Just look at the progress I am making. With comical seriousness, the Baron pointed to the empty cup and the sole remaining roll. God be thanked and praised for that, she said joyfully. I shall tell you because you asked me. I wonder if you would give me a little Sunday pleasure by inspecting all the rooms. I have your chair already at the door. After the great work Apollonie had done, his only objection was that she desired something which meant pleasure for him and labor for her. But he was willing enough to be put into the heavy wheelchair. "'It is wonderful what you have done, Apollonie,' he concluded. "'You seem to have even changed Mr. Trius from an old bear into an obedient lamb.' Soon after, the baron sat propped up in his wheelchair. Here, guided by Apollonie, he was taken first of all to the large ballroom, which had witnessed all their happy gatherings of the family and their friends. It actually glistened in its renewed splendor, and the baron silently looked about him. The tower room, which had been his brother Salo's abode, was inspected next, and again the baron uttered no word. Beautiful portraits of his ancestors adorned these walls, and he recalled how Salo had loved them. Apollonie moved next to the room of the baroness, where every object was in its place again. The faithful servant noticed how her master's glances drank it all in, and as they remained he still showed no desire to leave. "'My mother was sitting in this armchair when I last spoke to her,' he said at last. "'And this red pincushion was lying on the table before her. I remember standing there and playing with the pins, and I can recall every word she said. "'Don't carry me down today, Mrs. Apollonie,' he continued after a pause. I want to spend my Sunday here. I am glad there are no more empty rooms to flee from. Apollonie was more gratified than she could say that her master was beginning to feel at home and hoped that it would soon become dear to him. She wanted him to see, also, Leonore's bright and cheerful room, which the Baroness had had furnished in the daintiest way, and was unable to suppress her wish. Please, Baron, take one more small trip with me, she begged. We can soon come back here. As he raised no objection, they set out. Through the wide-open windows of the room, the woods could be seen. Flocks of gay birds sat caroling on the luxuriant branches of the fir trees, and their songs filled the room with laughter. The baron let his gaze roam out to the trees with their merry minstrels and back again to the pleasant chamber. 
"'You have accomplished miracles, Mrs. Apollonie,' he cried out. "'It only took you two days to change this mournful cave into a pleasant abode where young people could be happy. Please take me back to my mother's room now and come to me as soon as you find time, for I have something to talk over with you.' An interview, lasting a considerable time, took place that afternoon. Lonnelly had been thinking about Kurt and Mia while she was wandering happily up and down the terrace, and she wondered how soon they would hear of the great event. She was very anxious for them to pay her a visit, for what she was already making plans. When Lonnelly came back from her stroll, she saw her grandmother sitting on the window seat, sobbing violently. "'But, Grandmother, why are you crying? Everything is so wonderful here, and all the birds outside are singing.' "'I am singing with them in my heart, child.' "'These tears are tears of joy,' said the grandmother. "'Sit down, Lonnelly, and I'll tell you what is going to happen tomorrow. "'I feel as if this happiness was too much for me, Lonnelly.' Apollonie was once more swept away by emotion, and it took her a little time before she could tell Lonnelly the wonderful news. On this day it was so quiet in Mrs. Max's garden that it hardly seemed as if the whole family was gathered in the vine-covered garden-house. The thought of its being Leonore's last Sunday kept them from being gay, despite the fact that they were playing a game which they usually enjoyed. The mother's thoughts were wandering, too, for she had waited all day to get news from the castle. Wondering what this meant, Mrs. Maxa found it difficult to keep her attention on the children. Maisley undertook a little stroll from time to time, for her companions depressed her very much. She had been to see Kathy, who was sitting near the house door, and had chatted occasionally with the passers but now she returned carrying a letter. A boy brought it, and Kathy asked him from whom it was. But he didn't know, she explained. Give it to me, Maisley, said the mother. It is addressed to Leonore, though, she added, a bit frightened. But Leonore put both hands up to her face. Please read it, Aunt Maxa. I can't. You need not be frightened, children, she said quickly, with a joyful flush on her cheeks. Listen. As Castle Steward wants to see his two young friends, Leonore and Maisley, again, he invites them, with the rest of the family, including the mother, to spend the following day at Castle Wildenstein. "'I am glad,' said Maisley rapidly. "'Then Kurt can see that the Castle Steward and Mr. Treus are two people.' The children had been entirely taken aback by fright, which turned into surprise, but they began to shout joyfully now for the prospect of being invited to the castle was an event nobody could have predicted. For years they had only seen the mysterious shuttered doors and windows, and it was no wonder that they were delighted. Mia had heartily voiced her delight with the others till she noticed that Leonore had become very quiet and melancholy. "'But, Leonore,' she exclaimed, "'why don't you look forward to the lovely day we are going to have? I can't imagine anything nicer than to be able to inspect the whole castle.' "'I can't,' Leonore replied. I know too well that everything will be over after that day, and I may even never see you any more. Poor Mia was deeply affected by these words, and immediately her joy had flown. It was rather difficult to quiet everybody down in bed that night, and even when Kurt had gone to sleep, he uttered strange, triumphant exclamations, for in his dreams the boy had climbed to the top of the highest battlement. At ten o'clock next morning all the children were ready to leave and had formed a regular procession. Bruno and Kurt had placed themselves at the head and were only waiting for their mother. Now the two boys started off at such a rate that no one else could keep up with them, so the mother appointed Leonore and Mia as guides, and herself followed with Maisley. 
She firmly held the little girl's hand, for there was no telling what she might undertake otherwise, and the less independent Lippo held his mother's other hand, so that the two older brothers were obliged to accommodate their steps to the rest. But Kurt, simply bursting with impatience, dashed ahead once, only to drop behind again. Later on, he would appear from behind a hedge. Lippo simply could not stand such disorder, and to even up the pairs he took Bruno's hand. When they reached the familiar iron-grated door at last, to their surprise, both wings of it were thrown open. Mr. Trius, with his hat lowered to the ground, stood at his post to receive them. Shining silver buttons set off a coat which plainly belonged to his gala suit. Kurt was so completely confounded by this reception that he quickly fell into line with the rest, and the procession proceeded. The first thing they saw on the terrace was a long festive table with garlands of ivy and flowers. Apollonie soon after appeared in a beautiful silk gown the Baroness had given her, and her measured movements made the occasion seem extremely solemn. She had, to all appearance, become Castle Apollonie again. Lonely, wearing a pretty dress and carrying a huge bouquet of flowers, stepped up to Leonore. They handed her the flowers and recited in a clear, impressive voice the following words which Apollonie had composed herself. Thrice welcome to this home of thine, Lady of Castle Wildenstein. Leonore, rigid with surprise, first stared at Lonely, then looked at the mother. Mrs. Maxa took Leonore's hand and led her to the Baron, who had smilingly surveyed the scene. "'I think that her uncle is going to make his little niece a speech at last,' Mrs. Maxa said, placing Leonore's hand in her uncle's. Like a flash, comprehension dawned on Leonore. "'Dear uncle! Dear uncle!' she cried out, embracing him tenderly. "'Is it really true that you are my uncle? Is this wonderful thing really true?' "'Yes, child. I am the uncle you long to love like a father,' said the Baron. I want to be your father, and I hope you can love me a little. Will you mind living with me, Leonore? Oh, dear, dear uncle, Leonore repeated with renewed signs of warm affection. It is not very hard to love you. When you told me that my uncle in Spain was sick and miserable, I wished he could be just like you. I really can't quite believe that Salo and I may live with you in this wonderful castle, where I can be so near Aunt Maxa and everybody I love. I wonder what Salo will say. May I write to him today and let him know that we shall have a home with you? How do you do, Mr. Castle Steward? Maisley said that moment, thrusting a plump round hand between Leonore's and the Baron's. Maisley had actually made use of the first moment her hand was free. Now Kurt can see for himself that you and Mr. Trius are two people, can't he, Mr. Steward? This certainly must be cleared up, the Baron answered, shaking Maisley's hand. We shall prove to them all that Maisley knows what she has seen. Leonore, I want to meet your friends now. Won't you bring them to me? The children were all standing around their mother and Apollonie, who were clearing up the mystery for them. The mother had barely been able to check their violent outbreak, but could not quite quench all enthusiasm. When they heard that Leonore had come to introduce them to her uncle, they were a little scared, but Leonore understood their hesitation and declared, Just come. You have no idea how nice it is. Pulling Mia with her, she had compelled the others to follow, and arriving at her uncle's side, she immediately began. This is Bruno, my brother's best friend, and this is Mia, my best friend. I never had a friend like her in all my life. This is Kurt. Kurt is my friend, said the uncle. I know him because he is the poet. I hope he'll make songs about us all now. I know the one about Mr. Trius. Quite taken aback, Kurt looked at the Baron. How could he know that song? His mother had strictly forbidden him to show it to anyone, and he had only read it aloud at home. How could a stranger hear about it? 
You can say in your new song that Mr. Castle Steward and Mr. Trius are two persons and not one. You can see that yourself, Maisley declared aloud. Kurt then suddenly understood that his impudent small sister had probably been the informer, and he did not know what to answer. But Leonor helped him over his embarrassment by continuing. This is Lipo, uncle, who has asked me to live with him when he is grown up. Isn't he a wonderful friend, uncle? He knew I had no home. You have quite marvelous friends, Leonor, said the baron. They must visit you very often, if Mrs. Maxa will allow it. Gladly, and I know that their happiness will be yours, too, when you see them all wandering through the house and garden. Yes, all of us, and Salo, too, Leonor exclaimed. Do you think Salo will soon be here, uncle? Apollonie had approached the lively group under the pine tree, and as there happened to be a suitable pause, she announced that dinner was ready. I really ought to invite my dear friend, Mrs. Maxa, to come to the table with me. I shall ask, however, who is going to take me, said the baron. All the children immediately cried, I, 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 and hands caught hold of the back and both sides of the baron's chair. I am driving in a coach and six today. How things have changed for me, the gentleman said smilingly. The meal Apollonie had placed was a great success, and the open air on the terrace added to the children's enjoyment. When the fruit course, which consisted of yellow plums, was eaten, the baron gave the young birds, as he called the children, permission to fly freely about. It seemed to crown all the preceding pleasures to be able to roam without restraint in the woods and meadows. First of all, they ran towards the adjoining woods, where their need for an outlet could be gratified. "'Long years to you, Leonore,' Bruno cried. Now you and Salo are going to have a wonderful home quite near to us. Isn't it splendid? When Salo comes, we shall be together. Long live the Baron, Kurt screamed now with all his might. Hurrah for Castle Wolvenstein, the wonderful new home. Long live Apollonie. But where is Lonely? He suddenly interrupted himself in the midst of his outburst. She ought to be here, too. When everybody agreed with him, Kurt dashed toward the terrace where Lonely was just helping her grandmother carry away the dishes. "'We want to have Lonely with us, Apollonie. Please let her come with me,' Kurt explained his errand. "'Who wants her, do you say?' Apollonie began rather severely, despite a glad note in her voice, which could not be disguised. "'Everybody does, and Leonore especially,' was Kurt's sly answer. "'You can go, Lonely,' said the grandmother. "'You must celebrate this great day with them.' Lonely actually glowed with joy when she ran off with Kurt. As they were sitting under the pine trees, the Baron and Mrs. Maxa were reviving memories of long ago, and he listened with great emotion. When Mrs. Maxa told him how faithfully his mother had tried to send him news, her letters had, however, miscarried, because he had changed his residence so frequently. But she had wanted him to know how constant his mother's love had been, and how anxiously she was waiting his return. Mrs. Maxa he said after a little pause. I feel terribly ashamed. I came here with anger and hate in my heart against God and man, and my only hope was to die as soon as possible. I expected to be forsaken and despised, and instead of that I meet only kindness and love on every side. I never deserved such a thing. Do you think I can ever atone for all the wrong I've done? We must always bear in mind that there is one who is glad to forgive our sins, Baron and he can deliver us from them if we sincerely beg him to, Mrs. Maxa answered. As the baron remained silent, Mrs. Maxa added, 
Will you let me say something to you on the strength of our old friendship, Baron Bruno? Certainly. I can trust my dear Maxa to say only what is right, he replied. I have noticed that you have evaded mentioning the name Salo, that you seemed reluctant to answer Leonore's questions concerning his possible coming. I know that bitter memories are connected with the name, but I also want you to know that you will deprive yourself of a great blessing if you banish the boy who bears that name. Please let him come here, if only for a little while, Mrs. Maxa begged, yet more strongly, so that you can see him. If you can't willingly see him, who may be the pride and joy of your life, then open the door of his home, because, before God, it is right, which you must feel as fully as I. The baron was silent, then finally said, Salo may come. Mrs. Max's face shone with joy and gratitude. Many things had still to be discussed, and the two old friends remained sitting under the pine tree till the last rays of the setting sun were throwing a rosy light over the gray castle. The children were at last returning from their walk across the meadows. They looked like a full-blown garden when they approached the baron's chair, for they were covered with garlands of poppies, ivy, and cornflowers. Now supper was announced, and the baron was escorted to the terrace as before. It was a true triumphal march this time, when he, throned in his chair, with the lion's skin on his knees, was pushed along by the gaily decked children. The baron told them how much he would enjoy taking a similar ride into the field some day. When Mrs. Maxa gave the sign for parting after the merry supper party, no sign of grief was shown because the baron had already told them that Leonore was to move up into the castle in a few days. They were all to be present then. After that, there would be no end to their visits. When the baron shook Maisley's hand at parting, he said, You came to see me first, Maisley, so you shall always be my special friend. Yes, I'll be your friend, Maisley said firmly. When Leonore tenderly took leave of her uncle, she whispered in his ear, "'May Salo come soon, uncle?' This time the answer was a clear affirmative, and the child's heart was filled with rapture. "'Oh, Aunt Maxa,' she cried aloud, "'can't we sing our evening song up here? I should love to sing the song my mother used to sing.' When consent was given, they grouped themselves about the baron's chair and sang, "'God, who disposes all things well, I want but what thou givest me.' Oh, how can we thine acts foretell, when thou art far more wise than we? All the way home the children kept looking back at the castle, for their day had been too marvelous. The next day three letters were sent to Salo, one from Bruno and one from Leonore, both full of enthusiasm about the great event of the day before, and one from Mrs. Maxa. The last thrilled Salo most because it contained a summons for him to come to his new home. The news that Baron Bruno had come back and that Apollonie had resumed her old post at the castle had spread all over the neighborhood. Everybody had heard that Lonely also was living at the castle, that Baron Salo's daughter had come, and his son was soon to be there. The report that Mrs. Rector Bergman's whole family had spent a day at the castle was reported too, and everybody talked about the intimate friendship of the two families. A few days after the celebration at the castle, the district attorney's wife came to call on Mrs. Maxa, she lost no time in telling her hostess that she counted on Baron Salo's son joining the other three lads in town, and that her husband had agreed to look upon another room for him. She had no doubt that the sons of the three most important families of Nola ought naturally to live and study together, and she knew that every effort would be made to find Salo a suitable room, even if the application came rather late. Mrs. Maxa did not need to mind these annoying negotiations now but calmly replied that the baron would send his nephew to the high school in the city and would undoubtedly make his own arrangements. 
Mrs. Kinnipel, after remarking that her husband counted on seeing the Baron himself, withdrew. A moment after she left, Lonnelly came into the house to see Mia. "'Just think, Mia,' the peace-loving Lonnelly said to her, "'I have a message for you from Elvira. She wants you to know that she is willing to forgive you on condition that she may meet Leonor. She wants to be her friend and sit beside her in school.' "'It's too late now, and it won't help her. I don't care whether she wants to make up with me or not,' Mia said placidly. "'Neither Leonor nor I are going to school. You won't have to go either, Lonnelly, because a lady is coming to the castle to teach us all. Baron Wallerstaten and Mamma have settled it, so I know it.' Lonnelly could hardly believe her ears. The surprise seemed too great. "'Then I shan't have to sit on the shame bench any more,' she said with a beaming face, for a heavy trouble was removed from her heart. "'You can ask Leonor if she wants to meet Elvira,' said Mia, for Leonor had stepped up to them. But Lonnelly's message held no interest whatever for Leonor, who wished for no new acquaintances. She only desired to give the time she was not spending with her uncle to Mia and her brothers and sisters. Least of all she wished to meet a girl who had been so disagreeable to her beloved Mia. Uncle Philip had been away on a business trip. On his arrival home he received the following note from his sister. "'If you still want to see Leonor with us, come as soon as possible.' She is going to live with her uncle at the castle in a very few days. I shall tell you all about it when you come. He arrived the very next morning, and as soon as he met his sister, he exploded. I was quite sure, Maxa, that you would immediately deliver the little dove into the vulture's claws. I wish I had never put her in your care. Come in, Philip, and sit down, Mrs. Maxa said composedly. We are going to have dinner in a moment, and then you will have the chance to ask the dove herself what she thinks of the vulture's claws. Uncle Philip opened the door and found the children absolutely immersed in the recent events. The instant he stepped over the threshold, they rushed up to him and fairly flooded him with news. Their speeches came thick and fast, and he heard nothing but manifestations of love for the dear good Baron, Leonore's charming uncle, the good, kind castle steward. Maisley had not given up this title even now. "'Do you see, Philip, that you can't swim against the stream?' said Mrs. Maxa, when she was sitting alone with her brother after dinner. The best thing you can do is pay your old friend a call. That would add you to the list of his admirers, instead of your bearing him a grudge. But Uncle Philip violently objected to this proposal. Baron Bruno spoke of you with a sincere feeling of attachment, which you apparently don't deserve, his sister said. He was afraid of your feeling towards him, though. Listen to what he said. I fear that he won't wish to have anything to do with me, and I shall be powerless in that case. I won't refuse the hand of an old friend, though, Maxa said the brother now. If he offers it to me to re-establish peace, what is he going to do for Salo's son? Salo has already been sent word that he is to have the castle of his ancestors for a home, replied Mrs. Maxa. I am going out for a walk, Uncle Philip said suddenly, taking down his hat from the peg, and Mrs. Maxa guessed quite well where he was going. He reappeared at supper time and sat down with merry eyes in the midst of them all. Leonore, he began, as soon as you are the mistress of the castle, I shall often be your guest. Your uncle and I have just done some business together. He told me how different everything used to be in the castle grounds, and that he regretted not understanding about these matters. So he asked me to take charge of things, as they were in my special field. He hoped my old attachment to the place. At these words, Uncle Philip's voice became quite hoarse suddenly. Maxa, your plum cake is so sweet it makes one hoarse, he said for he would never admit that he had been overcome by deep emotion. So I have undertaken to attend to the matter, and I shall often come to the castle. 
that Uncle Philip belonged to the castle, too, now awoke hearty outbursts from the children, which the mother happily joined, for it had been her greatest wish that the two should become friends again. The last evening before Leonore was to move into the castle had come, and the children were all sitting in a little corner. They were in the most cheerful mood, busily making delightful plans for the future. Suddenly the door opened, and wild shrieks of joy burst from everybody. Salo, Salo, Salo! they all cried out. The boy had just arrived in time to have a last splendid evening with his friends before moving into his new home. The day turned out more wonderful than they had ever dared to dream, and it was followed again by a succession of other days as delightful. Every time the children came together it seemed like a new party, and the Baron took great care that those parties did not end too quickly. Kurt had soon informed Salo and Bruno that there was a large hall with weapons and armor at the ground floor of the castle. When the boys asked Apollonie to admit them, she opened a little side door for them, because Mr. Trius had hidden the other key. Salo lifted the armored knight to his shoulders, and had the long blue cloak draped around him. He looked like a frightful giant as he wandered up and down the big room, and Kurt recognized the ghost of Wildenstein he had seen that dreadful night. Salo, with his charming disposition, soon entirely won over his uncle, who decided to send his nephew to the neighboring town to study and Salo and Bruno were to spend their study time as well as their holidays together. When the summer holidays were over, Salo and Bruno moved into town, but even this leave-taking did not prove very hard. The children were not to be separated very long, for the boys were to spend many weekends at home, besides all their holidays. Bruno had soon written to his mother from town that she need not worry at all about the Knippel boys, as they scarcely ever saw them. When Mrs. Maxa cannot help recalling... All her former fears and plans for the future, because her son's violent temper caused her such anxiety, she said to herself with a glad heart, Oh, how can we thine acts foretell, when thou art far more wise than we? Apollonie had become the real, true castle Apollonie of yore, and manages for her master's sake to live in undisturbed peace with Mr. Trius. She is taking such good care of the baron and his little adopted daughter that a bloom of health has spread over their cheeks. On sunny days the baron can frequently be seen walking up and down the terrace on Leonore's arm, and his young guide is very careful of his health and looks after him tenderly. The sound of a beautiful voice can often be heard through the open castle windows, for Leonore has inherited her mother's voice, and it gives her uncle the keenest pleasure to listen to the songs she used to sing in bygone days. The people in Nola unanimously agree that the ghost of Wildenstein has gone to his eternal rest, because peace again is reigning at the castle. The End The End of Chapter 9 And the End of Maisley By Johanna Spirey Translated by Elizabeth P. Stork Read by Darrell War In the Valley of the Heart's Delight, California Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.